Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hi, friends, and welcome back to another episode of the Dream Bigger podcast. I'm your host, Sif, and I'm the founder of Array. Last week's episode was with Baba, an extremely inspiring entrepreneur, and today I have another female force joining me. I'm talking about none other than Shay Marie, one of the OG content creators who was doing her thing way before the term influencer was even coined. I'm talking like 2013 before being a blogger was a cool coveted career option. But aside from being a trailblazer in the digital space, Shay is also a startup founder. She's actually founded two brands, Same, a swimwear brand, and The Feelist, a clean skincare and body care brand. I loved chatting with Shay because her and I had a lot of similar philosophies when it comes to running our brands, which you're going to hear about on today's episode. I'm super excited to dive in, so let's get right into it. So let's start from the beginning. I feel like you're an OG in the influencer space. So at what point did you start creating content and what made you really decide to start? Yeah, so I mean, we're like, we're going back like over a decade, you know, at this point. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I, I grew up in a small town and I moved to Los Angeles after college and I didn't know anyone. I didn't have any connections or any ins and I feel like LA is all about who you know. So I literally like, I couldn't even get an internship in fashion. And you know, you think about it, it's like, how can you not find, you know, a place to work for free, right? Um, so I was basically just working at a bar at night to pay rent. And I was living in an apartment, a two bedroom apartment with four girls, like just trying to make it work. And I'm trying to like, think of a way, like, how can I find a way to even potentially, you know, get an internship or a job without like having any contacts. Um, and this was before social media. So you couldn't just like, you couldn't like just send someone your gram so they can see you're like a trendy girl with style. Um, so I had this idea that I would make, I would make a website um, that I could send to potential employers and it would like have images of, you know, inspiration and it would be kind of like an online magazine, but um, it would also have images of me and my style. Uh, and I thought maybe that I would have a better chance of kind of finding some kind of job. So, you know, I started this site, which became known as a blog and people, you know, slowly kind of started to reshare images of me and what I was wearing mm-hmm. on the internet, which was so weird at the time. <laughs> and my friends thought I was crazy. People made fun of me. Like it was, it was an interesting time, but I guess like, you know, in hindsight, it was kind of like Instagram before Instagram. Mm-hmm. Um, I always say like too bad, 
Yeah, I haven't hadn't thought of that idea. <laughs> that is, you know, we have such a similar story in that sense because I actually started my blog Icing and Glitter like for the same reason. I was looking for like a like an internship or something and because I didn't have that background like my undergrad was not in anything to do with fashion or you know like journalism really but I knew that that was where my passion lot lay and it was for the same reason that I started as well and like when I first went to my interview with Elle like I took my like essentially like my blog as my resume <laughs> absolutely it was like you know it, it's it was hard to find a way into the fashion world or the beauty world when you don't have any connections. Um, and especially, especially then. So it, you know, it obviously turned out very different than I was expecting, um, all for the good, but yeah, that's kind of how, how I got started. So then when did you decide to go full time with it? Or like, what was that point where you were like, Hey, wait a minute, like this, this is it. Like, you know, this is actually, this can be my job. I think I, I, well, I remember like one day, you know, I looking at the analytics on, I think it was like WordPress. Um, it was like a thousand people looked at your website today. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. <laughs> uh, and it kind of went, you know, exponentially up from there. And it was probably about three years maybe after I started that it really started to take off. And I started getting, you know, a lot of paid jobs and contacted from really large brands and exciting opportunities to travel all over the world and, you know, sit front row at Paris Fashion Week and all, all these crazy things I could have never dreamed of. And my life really changed so dramatically, I think, in like a short amount of time. Um, and it was all new. It was innovative. It was exciting. It was cool. There's a lot of people that had bad things to say. You know, it was hard at Fashion Week with editors who, you know, now girls like me were sitting front row. And then, you know, these editors who had worked their whole lives to be where they are, you know, were not everybody was nice about it. That's, yeah. that's for sure. There's a lot of people in it, but it was a 50-50 split for sure. I mean, I feel like prior to the age of like blogs and social medias, fashion and beauty, they were like such guarded industries. And like, it was only recently, really, since this like shift happened that it kind of became a lot more democratized, right? Like up until, up until recently, it was really editors who were the gatekeepers of these two industries, I feel. Absolutely. And I think it's really opened it up for people to be able to dream bigger and no pun intended to your podcast, but um, it, you know that like anything is possible because these industries are so much more accepting now. And before it was very much, you had to know somebody to even get in. A hundred percent. I mean, I, I like, I'm all for the shift. So <laughs> I'm, I'm very grateful that kind of this, all of this happened and you know, this, this change into digital media because I really do feel like, you know, now if, if you are creative enough, you're good enough, like that's it. That's really what you need. Absolutely. So you are the founder of two businesses, which is, I mean, to me, it's still wild because I feel like Array takes everything I have and here you are with Same and The Feelist. So Same is your swimwear line. So when, when did you start? making the transition from influencer to brand founder? Like, did you always know you wanted to have a business aside from being an influencer? Like, when did that shift happen for you? I think that 
I've always been somebody that's very forward thinking and kind of looking ahead. And the way that, you know, social media and blog and everything took off in at such like a crazy rate, I always kind of felt like this isn't going to last forever and that I have to build something long lasting and that being an influencer just can't be the end goal. Um, so I always like from really early on, I knew that. So I really kind of toyed around with a bunch of ideas in the beginning. Um, you know, I, I was touring factories in Italy, like, you know, for handbags, footwear, denim. Um, one of my really close friends owned like the biggest swimwear production factory in Los Angeles. And so I started designing some sketches. I mean, really just for fun. And I took them to him and I was like, can we make this? I don't think it's been done before. And we didn't really have a plan. We were just like, oh, let's just see what we come up with, right? And we started kind of putting together some samples and it came out really, really beautiful and it was kind of immediately recognizable. Um, it was our original suit for same. It had all the triangular stitching and it kind of took the social media world by storm in the swimwear space. I mean, everybody was wearing it from like Kendall Jenner to Ailey Baldwin and it was really everywhere. And I feel like it was... Um, one of the first swimwear brands to really kind of build their presence through social media and Instagram and being recognizable like instantly. Yeah, absolutely. So, I, I mean, I remember, like, I remember seeing same pop up. It was like inescapable. Like I, everyone knew that brand. And then, you know, everyone started to so fast, you know, you get copied by all the mass retailers, right? And I remember at the very beginning, we're like, trying to send cease and desist and like spending all of our money on, on lawyers. And then I just realized, you know, they, they have, you know, those big, big retailers that, you know, build their business knocking off brands, they have systems in place so that you can't ever win, right? Um, so I, I learned quickly that we just have to keep reinventing ourselves. Let that go, move on to the next thing and keep redesigning. So that I was also something I feel like in, in re actually not even just retail, I'm going to say like in, in all CPG categories, so much of it is to do with like brand and like producing that thing with quality and having, have like giving customers that whole experience, which probably, you know, like a mass retailer can't. So like, yes, they can like copy or like, you know, create a dupe, but overall, like, I feel like if you have that kind of like brand presence, that's the sort of, I guess, like the, the proprietary thing that you own. Definitely. And I think consumers, you know, now more than ever, they care and they're more looking into who's behind the brands, where they're putting their money, who they're supporting. Um, and so I think that, you know, that's been a really, really positive shift for, you know, the retail apparel and beauty industries. A hundred percent. I couldn't agree more. So prior to starting same, had you done any, like, I guess like retail collaboration. So you knew or had a little bit of idea of what the ropes would be like, or was it more so just based on your experience as really like a consumer yourself that you knew, okay, no, this is kind of how I want to do things. I think, you know, in the beginning, I really, I really didn't know what I was doing. I was kind of just winging it. I mean, I had done design collaborations. Like I did a, a capsule shoe collection with Steve Madden um, and some other things similar to that. But this was like 
the first time that I was really starting a brand on my own. And a lot of, you know, influencers or celebrities, especially if they're really busy, they will do more of kind of um, more of a licensing deal where they literally kind of just have to be the face and the name and then somebody else does most of the work, um, which is great when you don't know what you're really what you're doing. Doing, um, and how to run a business from the ground up. I never went that route. So I just basically threw myself in the lion's den and had to, you know, kind of start learning from scratch and probably really took with, you know, with same. I mean, in the beginning, we were rolling around like a carry on suitcase in New York going to buyer meetings and just like, do you want this? And actually, <laughs> like, pretty much everyone we met with picked up the line, which was really incredible. We actually had to turn down a lot of people because we didn't even have our production set up well enough to where we could produce all the units and everything was late. I mean, it really took the first two or three years before we got into a flow where everything was coming in on time and things were being done correctly. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel you, like, I feel like the, the whole like production manufacturing thing is like a whole, like it's, it's a whole beast. I feel it. It's, and you know, skincare and beauty, it's a whole nother level. You're like, at least with swimwear, we're working with one factory, basically with, um, you know, with the feel list, it's just, there's a thousand different like people involved. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you get it. Like, I feel like the beauty and wellness verticals are just so similar. So now, you know, you, you, you totally get the beauty kind of category as well, because I mean, it's, it's tough. It's, it's not easy. Definitely not easy at all. So speaking of the feelist, I I mean, I am kind of in awe. Like I can't believe you have two startups. I feel like just having one is is like hard enough. So what are the systems you put in place at same which allowed you to step away enough to start the feelist? Yeah, so you know, we're going into like our sixth year at same now. Um, mm -hmm. So we've been around for a minute. And like I said, the first two, three years were so difficult. And the first three years, I, I did everything I had every job and I was in the office all day every day in the factory, working morning to night. Like I said, kind of until we got into a flow where I was really able to focus on the parts of the business that I really love, like all the creative and all the design. Um, and I have a business partner in the brand and he really handled the production um, and overseeing production and a lot of financial aspects of the brand. And then we also have an incredible brand manager who's been with us um, since day one. And she's actually one of my closest friends and she knows the ins and outs of the business completely. And her and I work very closely together. And I think that's something, you know, that's really important is building a team that understands and shares your vision, right? Because, you know, she knows me so well. So she understands my aesthetic. And if I can't be there to make a decision, I know I can trust her to make the one that I would have made, right? Yeah. So I think yeah. that kind of having that um, groundwork allowed me to have more free time to start another like true passion project of mine. I love that. And I think it's such valuable advice because even for us, I mean, for a long time, like it was just myself, um, my co-founder Nish, who's my husband and really like it was, it was us and like a very small, like external contractors. And when we brought on certain like key team members, I was like, 
wow, like you go further, I feel like with the right team members, right? Like you're just able to do so much more. And especially having those people who you're so in sync with that it's almost like you can complete each other's sentences. And like, for me as well, like our, um, like we have like our head of social, who's really like doing a, a lot of things in the brand building side. And, you know, she, she, it's the same thing, right? Like I feel the same way that like, I can, if I'm not there, I trust her to make that decision. And it's so important. Yeah. I think that's, you know, it, that's something that you definitely need. You need, you need people that understand and, you know, have your same aesthetic and, and vision um, because you don't want to micromanage someone all the time. That's like, it can be sometimes like hiring an employee is very daunting because it ends up being so much more work than it, it mm-hmm. is, you know, for you. But like when you find the right person, um, it all, it all makes sense and it all makes it worth it. Yeah, yeah. I think that's such a, it's such a great point that like with, with hiring, like I remember when we were first looking into the process of hiring and the whole thing felt really daunting but then it was like very quickly i realized that no it's really about the kind of quality of people you hire because it it really does make a difference like you don't need to micromanage i feel like people can be self-motivated in a team and like that's really how it should be so i think like for all like you know entrepreneurs future entrepreneurs listening in like it's just so important i would agree so let's get into the specifics of the feelist. So first of all, like explain to everyone what it is. <laughs> yeah. So the feelist is a, a clean skincare and wellness brand. Um, we really focus on super powered plant-based ingredients, but the brand really has a beautiful luxe look and feel. Um, we really wanted to create products that are not only effective, but super beautiful, able to be anywhere on your top shelf. Yeah, that's kind of what the feelist is in a nutshell. It's really beautiful, I have to say. Like it is it it looks so lax. It's it's stunning. Thank you. It's a lot of time and work has gone into that. So that means a lot to me. Yeah, definitely. I mean it shows. So tell me about the process of how you came up with the idea for it. Like why like why did you feel like the world needed this product? Yeah. So, I mean, I had obviously, you know, been working in fashion and beauty at this point, you know, for almost 10 years and kind of my position in the industry has allowed me to try every product, every treatment, every beauty, every health offering. Um, And I think that what I really learned by having access to it all is that sometimes less is more. And I really kind of got interested in clean beauty probably about five years ago because I was developing sensitivities to a lot of different products and starting to research why is this happening, happening to me. And I honestly think that I was just overdoing it. I was using too much. So I started kind of, you know, learning more about the clean space, but finding, you know, beautiful products in the, and you know, in the natural landscape was really tricky, especially five years ago. I mean, most products kind of seemed small batch with the very, very same earth tone branding. And um, they were definitely like the kind of products that I was hiding away and they weren't making the gram, right? They were in the back of the medicine cabinet, but they were working. And so I felt that if I was looking for beautiful, trustworthy products in the space that other people would be too. So I kind of started this idea 
of building a brand that held up to all the clean beauty standards, but also was beautiful and luxe enough to display anywhere. So that's kind of how it started. Oh my gosh. I can so relate to that. And even like, I feel like there's so many parallels in the beauty and wellness worlds. Like I I always say that because I mean, truly, like, I feel like the two industries are just so similar. And like, I felt the same way with, with wellness as well. Like we started Array because we saw this sort of white space whereby like these, these like effective brands, they were just so ugly and clinical looking and that you just hide them away. And it was just too much stuff. Like you'd have to buy too many different supplements individually. And like, we, we felt the same way that we wanted to create something really luxe and like totally to your point, like, you know, you're able to kind of display it and be really proud of it too. Absolutely. And, you know, we kind of always, one of our brand statements from the beginning of like the creation of the feelist was that clean doesn't have to be boring. And, you know, like I said, the idea behind that was kind of that so many clean brands of the past all felt very similar. And Mm -hmm. we felt the market, the market was really missing a brand of plant-based skincare products that felt and looked very luxurious. Um, And also like building a brand for like the modern consumer, Um, the consumer who doesn't need you know, brown paper bag packaging to tell them something's clean. And they aren't fooled by jargon anymore. They do their research. Mm -hmm. They're interested in what ingredients work and which don't and what's good for their bodies. And I think that, you know, consumers care about this more than they ever had in the past. So it's something that was me as well. Yeah. And I don't think, you know, like, I think that we are at the point with like education that like people value what's going into and on their body and they certainly shouldn't have to pick between something that is clean and effective and they feel really safe and happy with and something that's also really beautiful like I think we're you know we're going to a place where like I mean we should really be there you know like I think I don't think the modern consumer needs to pick between the two things you're you're so right and I think another thing that we kind of say is that like clean should be the rule not the exception right we you know, all brands should be moving forward in that direction. I, I mean, I love that. I think it's like, I, I, I honestly, I couldn't agree more. So I guess like one of the questions I actually wanted to ask you was like, what, what do you feel is a misconception about the clean beauty world? Yeah. So I think it's a very interesting space and clean is a very big term. It means something different to each brand that claims it really. Um, I think something that I really learned um, is that just because, you know, you can't say read an ingredient or you haven't heard of it doesn't make it harmful. Um, And we really kind of learned this the hard way in, you know, most products, most skincare products, they need preservatives. And so um, the, you know, and preservatives are usually things that you've never heard of and you can't read. Um, but in the first round of working on our body creams, I was like, I do not want preservatives. I want to find an all natural way. And I think I was even Googling stuff online. Like, I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was something outrageous. Like lemon juice and olive oil can be a preservative or something. And the formulators and our manufacturers are like, this isn't going to work. Uh, but we can try. And so anyways, our first round of, uh, products they failed um stability and compatibility testing meaning that you know basically they were forming bacteria once exposed to the elements and so what i really learned is if you don't have preservatives in there 
to combat bacteria, you're really, you're going to have a problem. Um, so, you know, my personal misconception was that like, I need to be able to understand everything. Um, no, you should research every ingredient that's in your product, but just because you don't know what it is, doesn't make it harmful and doesn't make it not clean. Right. Um, so oils are an interesting thing though, uh, mm -hmm. because bacteria, bacteria can't grow in oil. It needs water to grow. So, you know, that's why you can leave a bottle of olive oil. Yeah, you can, you know, that's why your olive oil lasts in your cupboard for a century. Um, so our face oil is very, very natural. We don't actually, the only preservative that you could consider a preservative that's in there is grapeseed oil. Um, because, yeah, it won't grow any bacteria on its own because it's an oil. So a little like note or tip for people is, you know, if you have an all natural oil that you're using, don't touch the dropper like to your hand if it's wet. Um, or, you know, keep the lid closed if you're in like a steamy shower bathroom situation, those kind of things, because you don't want any water to get in um, a totally oil based product. That is really fascinating. Also, I have right? to ask you, yeah, it's super interesting. And I know that like you guys have um, like a shit list of ingredients that you guys try to stay away from, right? So yeah. could you like list out a couple of them and just, I mean, like maybe things that people wouldn't necessarily know to avoid? Yeah. I mean, our, our shit list is pretty extensive. There's you yeah. know, thousands of things on it and we really kind of made it, you know, we really looked at all of the, you know, biggest brands in the industry, in the clean space, what they were avoiding. We spoke to formulators, researchers, manufacturers. Um, there are, sites online, I think like EWG, where you can research the, uh, each ingredient and it'll tell you if it's harmful for, you know, to you in any way. So using all these different things, we kind of built our own shit list. Um, I think there are certain things that are becoming like standard nose across the clean beauty world, just because they're, they're, they've been proven to cause irritation in your skin. I mean, things like sulfates, um, what else like you know we try to use we try to use only non-gmo ingredients um no added fillers or unnecessary toxins oh gosh <laughs> i mean i have to post yeah. those it's like long things that you've you've never really heard of you know and it's like but they're in these products and it's like you're like what are these things um and 100%. you don't you know i feel like you, you know, what, like parabens, sulfates, um, and I, I mean, there's so many I'm trying to think, you know? Yeah. I mean, like it, it really is, but you know what, like what I love is the fact that you guys do have this list of like no-nos and like, I was looking at your Instagram stories and I, I really like that you're, you, you are doing your best to like also educate consumers as well and almost making that knowledge like a lot easier to break down and digest for someone who's maybe just getting introduced into the clean beauty world. Yeah, definitely. And I think I was just thinking, um, you know, about another misconception that actually goes the complete opposite way is that just because an ingredient is natural doesn't make, mean that it's good for your skin. Right. Um, mm -hmm. and not all oils are good for your face. Like I would never put coconut oil on my face. Um, it's, 
you know, it just, it doesn't blend with the natural pH of your skin. It doesn't blend with the oils on your skin. It's highly commodogenic. And so, um, you know, just because something's natural and clean doesn't necessarily mean that it's good for your skin. So it goes both ways. For sure. And like, I think it's really interesting that you bring up the commodogenic, I guess, like aspect of things, because I know that a lot of people use oils. And like, I remember I was like one of these people as well. And like, I would maybe have a reaction to an oil. And that was because I didn't know to look at that commodogenic scale before purchasing an oil or really understanding what it did for my skin. And, you know, like there are definitely oils which are great for your skin and now I use them, you know, and they don't make me break out. So I think like that piece of knowledge is also so important. Absolutely. And I think that's something we've been trying to educate people on because so many people have had a bad experience with, with face oils. They, Mm -hmm. I mean, they typically get get mixed reviews at best. And so many people are just adamant that they can't use face oils at all. So, um, you know, we have a face oil called Most Wanted. And what with that product, we really kind of set out on a quest to create a face oil that could be used by everybody. So yeah, that oil, I was actually going to ask you about it, because I've read the I've read the reviews on your website. And they're like, they're insane. People are obsessed with that oil. So can you get into what it is that makes it so special? Like what are, I guess, like maybe like if you can like some of the star ingredients or like, what is it about that oil? Because people are obsessed. Yeah. So, you know, like I said, we really kind of wanted to create, you know, an oil that could be used by everyone. And what really was our like campaign slogan here was to create face oil for people who can't use face oils. Um, And we wanted to break down the misconceptions that face oils can't work for everyone, especially people with acne prone skin. So we kind of really started researching oils and I, you know, I used my social media following for um, really to help the creation of this product. And we, we, we began asking questions and doing polls and collecting feedback from thousands of people. Like I was on my Instagram stories like years ago, asking people all kinds of questions. Like, you know, do you have acne prone skin? Do any face oils work for you? What works best for you? Um, And I was getting answers from everyone from teenagers with bad acne to like famous dermatologists and beauty editors. Uh, We really wanted to kind of speak to people of all ages, all skin tones, all skin types. And I think that, you know, of course we spoke with a lot of researchers and formulators and developers, but like, I feel like the best information that I really got was from people and feedback from real people and what's working for them. Um, Because you can never, like, you never know what you can truly believe that you find online. Like what's actually, what's the truth, what's paid, what's the endorsement. Um, So it was a really incredible thing to have that following. Of, you know, so many women that are obsessed with beauty and obsessed with skincare. I mean, my following is mainly women like age 20 to 40. Um, and so it's like, those are the exact people. Like if you can just, you just have, think if you have a million people and you can ask them all these questions, it's like you can create a product that the people want most. Hence, hence the name most wanted. Yeah, I mean, Um, it's it's true. And I like, I think that what you did with like, by kind of tapping into your audience, it's so smart, and it's so necessary. 
Yeah. And so, you know, we, we really took all that information that we got and um, that coupled with just, you know, researching different oils and creating a blend of oils that, you know, mimics the natural pH of your skin. Um, oils that are low on the, on the clogging pores scale. Um, and then I'm a super fan of CBD and skincare. CBD has incredible anti-inflammatory properties. So in terms of skincare, especially on your face, it can help with everything from acne, rosacea, you know, irritation, dermatitis, redness. It's really a super-powered botanical. So um, that is a, a real hero ingredient in the product that I think allows it to be used by everybody and it it helps calm and balance the skin rather than you know irritate it or break it out and i think that you know people are loving it the reviews are speaking for itself i mean i knew we loved it internally as a team but to see how much love it's received since we launched it's been it's been the, the greatest you know joy and an achievement of my career for sure. Yeah, it's it it really is incredible. And like, I mean, congrats, like it's it's so I, I get it. Like when you have a product that helps people so profoundly, it really is a different kind of feeling as a founder. And like I was reading some of the reviews, like people with acne who you've been able to help, like that's really helping people's self-confidence and like their overall kind of how they feel on an everyday basis. Absolutely. And, you know, people send me messages daily and sometimes I cry. I mean, people, people send us videos and before and afters and it's, it's really, really unbelievable. And, um, something that I was going to say is that, you know, we kind in creating this product, we try to do things backwards, right? We, we really set out to reach our hardest customer and, the biggest skeptics. We were like looking for friends. We're like, if you hate face oils, reach out to us. We want you to try this. Just let us change your mind. Um, most brands, I think first step is, you know, targeting their easiest customer. And we really wanted to do it backwards. Um, and I think the result is like amazing reviews and testimonials from people who are literally just blown away. I love that. I think that is so cool. And Really, I think it's a smart approach because if you have created a product that can even convert a skeptic, like that's really what you need. Absolutely. And, you know, I always said when we were, you know, creating this product, if even if 50% of the people who try it like it, like we're doing a good thing, right? There's never a product that's going to be for everybody, especially mm -hmm. in skincare. So personal. Um, and everybody's skin is different. So I was like, it, it, at least if just half the people like it, like we have something good. I think our reviews right now are at like 98% positive. So it's really, I mean, it's far exceeded even what I could have ever dreamed of. That is so, so incredible. Okay. So Shay, you are an influencer and you own two brands. Tell me about your productivity tips. Um, okay. My productivity tips are be willing to give up your life. <laughs> um, <laughs> really? No, I mean, it takes, takes beyond a hundred percent dedication. It's definitely 
not for everybody. You have to be so self-disciplined, especially with a startup because, you know, there are no hours. It's not a nine to five. You really don't even have any off time. You have to really be willing to work around the clock. And even for me, from like the second I wake up until the second I go to sleep, I'm always at least thinking, brainstorming. And it can take a toll on your personal life for sure. But I think that a startup founder won't be successful without this like deep ingrained, almost hustler mentality. I can say that. (laughs) Yeah, Um, it's it's true. It's, It's so true. And like, I think you really, really have to love what you're doing to be able to kind of give it what you have to give it as a startup founder. You have to, 100%, you have to be your brand's number one fan. And you have to believe in it more than anything because if you don't believe in it, nobody is going to. And I think that's especially true um, for any like influencers, celebrity, anyone in the public eye, because, you know, like we keep talking about, consumers these days are more intelligent than ever. And they, they understand what's really happening behind, you know, celebrity endorsements, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. You got to believe it. Yeah, couldn't couldn't agree more. Are there like certain like do do you like structure out your to do lists like in a certain way? Like how do you like how do you manage everything? Because I feel like people are really curious as to the systems that people have who are like highly functional. I have an ongoing to do list just on my notes that syncs from my computer to my phone. And it, I mean, it usually at one time has at least a hundred things on it and I just <laughs> delete them as they get done. And I, you know, I have them in, in order of priority and I just, you know, every morning I look at it and I'm like, all right, let's, let's take a stab at it <laughs> and do what we can. So Love that. Um, okay. So <clears throat> One thing I love doing is asking people about the challenges or pain points they've had when it comes to their business. So I think that everything looks so easy from the outside, but you know, we, we know that running a business is really no joke. So can you share a major hurdle or challenge that you overcame while working on your brands? Yeah. I mean, I think I'll start out saying that uh, everything is a challenge and a major hurdle especially with a startup and especially when you're just learning. Um, I mean, there's so many tears and so many things that go wrong, especially, oh, especially this year has been the biggest <laughs> challenge. I mean, like there were points where I was like, nothing else can actually go wrong. Uh, it cannot get worse. Um, but no, launching a, launching a new brand in the midst of a pandemic um, it's obviously been an extremely difficult year and it's an extremely difficult year to, you know, be a team leader and during such like a time of uncertainty. And, you know, for the Philist, we started working on this project like really seriously in 2018 and we always had a plan to launch um, beginning of 2020. And so, you know, after two years of hard work due to the pandemic, everything just kind of shut down. And our factories closed right before our production was supposed to be finished. I mean, yeah, it was was heartbreaking for me. And we had, and me personally, I had invested so much into this company, obviously like my life and my time, but 
you know, money and energy and we had other people invested in it. And then everything was kind of just on hold indefinitely with no answers. So it's been a really tough year. Of course, nobody could have expected something like this to happen. But I think that you, you know, in any business, you really have to be able to just kind of, I guess, roll with the punches and um, be really flexible. And I think I realized that my priorities changed a lot. Um, One day, like my priority was planning a big launch party and, you know, this is so exciting, our new brand. And then the next day was like, oh my gosh, how are we going to keep our team employed and protect them during this, you know? crazy, crazy time. And do we launch? How are we going to launch? What do we do? It's, it's been a wild year, a lot of challenges. So yeah, I mean, <laughs> I 2020, it's been <laughs> Look, honestly, like if, if, you know, as a leader, you were able to get through 2020 and especially launch a brand, like, I mean, I feel like, honestly standing ovation because it, it like I was there like you know array like we really had our hard launch in March and that was essentially right when the pandemic hit and so I mean I get it it, it was it was tough for us to like just to get things going and like you know everything was so uncertain like I remember you know initially when we were going to the post office one time the the guy who worked at the desk was like well I don't think shipments are going through and I'm like what what do you mean like, what do you mean? Yeah, no, I, I, I totally feel you. And with, you know, with skincare, it's like you, you to make one product, it really takes about honestly two years from start mm-hmm. to finish between all the testing, getting all the packaging and everything is coming from a, literally a different place. And a lot of times it's coming from different continents and all these things. So if you have even just one component that has like a holdup, like you can't do anything. Right. So like, we had one piece where they were just like, we don't know if we're going to ever even reopen ever again because we've God. kind of gone. It's like, wait, what? I mean, there were so many days I just cried and it was just like, this is never going to happen. It's never going to launch. It's never going to, it's never going to be anything. I really, there were times I was like pretty down, but I'm also, you know, I'm also a fighter and someone that doesn't get give up and someone that will always continue to find a way. And yeah, so I think that's the mentality you have to have. Yeah, for sure. And like, honestly, I think that if you are able or if you were able to kind of get, keep things going and launch a brand in 2020, like I think that really you can do anything to be honest. And that's totally what I say to my team now. I always am like, we can do anything now. There is nothing that we can do. So it's very, uh, it's looking at the glass half full. A hundred percent. Okay. So Shay, last question. Tell me about your morning routine. My morning routine. It's pretty simple. Um, I, the only thing that I have to do every morning is get some kind of exercise. Um, I live in Miami half the time, so I love walking in the morning when I can. I'm in New York right now, so it's cold, so I'm kind of confined to my space. But if I can walk, that's my preferred morning exercise, and I'll usually do like an hour walk. And I'll either, you know, and I listen, I'll listen to podcasts um, or read through emails. I feel like I, it's like exercise, but also I can still work at the same time, which is kind of crazy. Um, but no, I, I do, I listen to a lot of podcasts, you know, I'll kind of research like other brands that 
I'm interested in or people that I admire and listen to their stories or just podcasts on business in general. Um, everything from, you know, because being a CEO, especially of a, uh, a new brand in, in a, a category in a field that you aren't, you know, super, super used to, um, learning is very important. And I, I am definitely someone that kind of feels like I know it all, um, but I'm always trying to learn. So, yeah, so that's kind of my morning routine. I do yoga too. Um, I love yoga. So I, I love that. I do a lot what of is, yoga. But, what are some and then I go straight to work. It's, it's not a <laughs> no, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. I, like, I, I keep going. <laughs> No, no, no. I, that was it. Just some kind of exercise to get my day going. Got it. And what are your favorite podcasts? Because I like, I'm a huge fan of podcasts myself and you know, I listen to audiobooks or podcasts literally all the time. And I love to ask other, other people what, what they're listening to. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think the first podcast that really got me into podcasts was how I built this. Um, I've probably listened to everyone. I love that. But, but now what I really do, to be honest, is I just search kind of in the search bar, like say if, um, I read about a person or a brand that I'm really interested in and I'm like, I want to hear their story. I want to know how they got to where they are or, you know, then I'll, I'll just search kind of their name or their company and then I'll kind of just start going through them. So I honestly do it more like that. I search more by what I'm looking for rather than like one podcast that I'm like dedicated to. Love that. Okay, Shay, thank you so much for being here. Tell everyone where they can find you. Thank you so much. Um, you guys can find me on Instagram at Shay Marie and then also my brands um, at The Feelist and my swimmer brand is same, S-A-M-E. So yeah. Awesome. Thank you, Shay. Mm-hmm.